Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us. Wherever you're listening from, we hope you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. I'm excited to be here tonight. Thank you for the opportunity, Pastor David. I, man, I'm, I, I respect you so much and what you're building here. And I really believe that the, the best really is yet to come. And this is just, just, this is just a, an appetizer of what God is going to continue to do. So, so, so I don't want this to be the last time because, um, because I, see, I see more seats and I see bigger buildings and I see greater influence. So make sure to bring me back when, when that happens. I mean that. Hey, um, I, uh, I'm, so, I'm so glad. I'm, I'm glad my wife let me come. I was like, hey, babe, you want to go to Miami? She's like, I can't go. You know, we've got, we've got four kids. They're two, four, six, and eight. Who do we appreciate? Mom, <laughs> for sure. Uh, she is, uh, she is the, like, you know, like preaching five services a weekend is nothing compared to chasing four kids every day. So, um, she was like, I can't go. I got all these kids. She said, but you go. And, um, and so I just, I, I, I normally, I don't like to travel without her or at least bringing one of my kids or something, but we, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be, I'm glad they let me, uh, fly down and hang out with you here in Miami. I love this city. I love this state. Of course, we, we are uh, on the, all the way on the other end of the state. We're just going to surround them, okay? We just get them from the north and the south, and we'll meet in the middle somewhere, and we'll, we'll just take Florida for Jesus. Today, I feel like I'm on assignment. I, I, I believe the Lord has sent me here uh, to wage war on what I believe is one of the greatest enemies of the church, and um, I, I believe that this church is maybe uniquely uh, called to wage this war on this specific enemy in the body of Christ. And I think, I think the name of this church indicates that. I think this recent series that you've been in about the Holy Spirit indicates your willingness to fight the battle with the enemy of insecurity. I feel like God has called me in this season. One of the things he's put on my heart, I've just, I have seen, I have seen the implications of insecurity at work in the lives of so many people. And it is, I believe it is reaching epidemic proportions. I don't think social media creates our insecurity, but I do think it preys upon our insecurities. And I just believe that we're living in an an era and a time when so many people are battling this spirit of doubt and insecurity. And, uh, And everybody's trying to prove something and everybody's trying to project something. And, and I want to, today I've just come to set somebody free from the need to please people, from the need to, to be accepted and liked, from the need to try to prove something to somebody, just to, to be free, to be who you are in God and whose you are in God and to take your place in his presence and at his, at, at his table and in his kingdom and in his power. And so today I want to read for you a story from the scriptures that I think uh, just highlights this, this calling that God has for us, this invitation for us to move beyond whatever it is that creates insecurity in our lives and to find ourselves in his presence and at his table. Second Samuel chapter nine. I want to read a story from the life of David. And uh, one of the most, I think, prophetic moments in David's life, uh, especially as it regards the future of the kingdom of God through the Messiah, Jesus, the son of David. What David is going to do here is going to 
give us a glimpse into the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ministry of Jesus. And this is not really just about David. This is about something bigger than David. It's about you and me and all of those who come to God through Jesus. Second Samuel chapter nine, verse one, David asked, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Aren't you glad for just the goodness of God, the kindness of God? Now, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba and he was summoned to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. And the king said, is there anyone remaining of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there remains one son of Jonathan, but he is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and did obeisance. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not be afraid, brave church. Don't be afraid. Don't be insecure. Don't be afraid. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you yourself shall eat at my table always. And he bowed down and paid homage. And he said, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? Then Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. My title today If you're taking notes, my title today is just simply an encouragement that I want to give you today. I want to encourage you to eat like a king. I believe God is calling his people to eat like a king, not just in the quantity of what we consume, but in the confidence with which we sit in the place that God has reserved for us and we partake in the good things that God has prepared for us. Eat like a king. Let me pray for you. Father, right now, in the matchless name of Jesus, I pray today over your people and ask that you would give us hearing ears, understanding minds, and believing hearts. And more than this, that you would give us stepping feet, walking feet, obedient lives that we would put into practice your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Uh, well, David in this text, I love David. Everybody loves David. If you, you know, if you're a preacher, you don't love David. You're not really a preacher. Everybody loves David. David is one of the, um, you know, he's, he's, he's on the Mount Rushmore of people of faith. And when we find David here in second Samuel chapter nine, David has not long become king over Israel. He was king for seven years over the Southern tribes. And then, and then after seven years of reigning there, he finally becomes king over the United tribes of the North and the South Israel and Judah, and he is sitting on his throne, and and as we approach the text that is our subject for today, uh, we we find that David is, we don't don't know what prompts David, we don't know, uh, we don't know if David uh, is having a moment of nostalgia, if he has a moment of deja vu, we don't know if he's remembering something from his past, but all of a sudden, David sitting on his throne remembers a promise that he had made to his childhood friend, Jonathan. Jonathan had been dead for years, and David hasn't seen Jonathan for years, and, and Jonathan's father, Saul, who was the previous king, has 
has been dead for years. And, and this is, there's a lot of water that's gone under the bridge. And all of a sudden, David is reminded of a covenant that he had made with Jonathan, a promise that he had made to Jonathan that he would, David would look after Jonathan's family. Jonathan knew that the anointing of God was on David's life to be the next king, that Jonathan, though he was the heir biologically to the throne of Israel, that Jonathan knew that he would not be king, but God had chosen David. And instead of fighting David so that he could take his place, instead, he embraced the movement of God. Even though it looked like it would cost him everything, his obedience actually provides a way for his son, in this case, to find redemption and forgiveness and freedom. And so David is is reminded of his own promise. I love the fact, I love the fact that our God is a promise-keeping God and a covenant-keeping God. And I love the fact that I don't have to remind God about everything that he's spoken. But but just because God is a person of his word, just because God does what he says he would do, if he said it, you can trust that he will bring it to pass. And so David all of a sudden remembers, I made a promise to Jonathan. There's no one who was there on the day that David made this promise. Jonathan is the only other person who heard it, was the only other person that, that was in the presence of David when he made this promise. There's no one there to force David's hand. There's no one there to say, hey, David, you made this promise. There's no one there to say, hey, if you don't do this, you're a liar. Nobody has to make David do it. David David could never make good on this promise and nobody would know, but David was a man of his word. And so he, uh, he begins to inquire. He says, is there anybody left when Jonathan and Saul, his father, when they were both killed in battle, when the Philistines attacked the people of God and then the Philistines began to annihilate the royal family, which was the custom in the ancient world. If you were going to take a nation, if you were going to overthrow a government, you would kill all the royal family. And so David knew that much of the royal family, if not all, had been annihilated. So he asks the question, is there anyone left? What's left? I think it's critical when you go through something in life that you ask the right question. And I find that a lot of times we ask the question, what left, instead of asking the question, what's left? And they sound the same, but they're very different. When you focus on what left, when you focus on who left, when you focus on what happened, when you, you will ignore you, when, they fo- when you focus on what they took from you, if you focus on who's left, you will ignore who's left. And God doesn't let, now God never uses who left to bless your life and move you into the next season of your life. He only uses who's left. But if I, fo- if I leave my life focused on who left, I will ignore who's left. I'll get bitter about the people who left and then I'll, I'll take it out on the people who are left. And so you didn't hurt me, but I'm bleeding on you and you didn't leave me, but I'm angry at you and I'm not really angry at you. I'm, I'm angry at who left. And I'm not focused on what's left in my life. I'm just focused on what left my life. And if you're not careful, you will miss the miracle because you're fixated on what left. Elijah met a woman and she said, my husband is dead and they're about to take my children as captives. She is fixated on what left. And he said, what's left? She said, I just told you what left. My husband left. My money left. Everything left. He said, yeah, yeah, but what's left? She said, nothing. But a little bit of oil. He said, okay, that's all I need. All I need is for you to take inventory and realize that you have something. It's not nothing. It might not be much, but it's not nothing. It might not be much, but if you've got something left, you have enough for God to do something. Is there anybody who just knows you got something left? 
I got something. I don't have everything. I might not have much, but I got, I got something left. I got a little bit left. I preached a bunch of times this weekend. I got a little bit left tonight, but I got enough. I feel like with the Holy Ghost, we can get through this. <laughs> You got you to gotta know what you, what you got left. David said, is there anybody, did anybody make it? David's looking for survivors. Are there any survivors in the house today? See, David understood, David understood that when God does something significant, he always uses, he, he often uses survivors, people who've been through something. And sometimes we disregard somebody because of their past, but oftentimes for God, your past is what will qualify you for your purpose. And so David is saying, hey, is there anybody, I know that they attacked I know that there's been bloodshed I know there's been loss but did anybody make it through because if you made it through something like that then God must have some purpose in your life some of you the only explanation for why you survived is that God must have something still in store for you if you came through what you came through the only possible explanation is that God is not done with you yet is there anybody left are there any survivors? I don't know what you've been through, but if you ever make the decision that I've, he said, I'm just gonna let what I've been through define me, but I believe there's something beyond it. He said, is there anybody, is there anybody left? And they called a former servant of the house of Saul. His name was Ziba. And Ziba comes into the, pre into the presence of the king. And the king asks him the question, is there anybody? I, I, I know that they attacked. I know Jonathan was killed and Saul was killed. And a lot of people were killed. Did anybody make it? And the Bible says that Ziba said to the king, there, there is one son of Jonathan who survived. He survived, but not without scars. He is crippled in his feet. See, he was five years old. Mephibosheth was his name. Five years old when this all went down and when the tragedy happened, when the fallout happened, when the attack happened, when the divorce happened, when the cancer happened, when whatever, I don't know what happened in your life, but when it happened in, in Mephibosheth's family, when that happened, he was five years old and, and his father, he was an heir to the throne of Israel. His dad was the, was the uh, heir apparent. Jonathan, his grandfather, was the king. He was born into royalty, born into privilege, born into power, born into wealth. He wore a crown. He was a prince of Israel. But in one moment, in one day, he loses everything. His grandfather and his father are killed and the enemies are approaching the city and they are going to wipe out the entire royal family. And in the chaos, the boy's nurse, his nanny, his his caregiver scoops him up and tries to run away with him to deliver him. And as she is trying to save him from the enemy, save him from destruction, she trips and falls. And in her attempt to take him from harm, she inflicts harm. And when he falls, his feet are broken and maimed and mangled. It doesn't seem like something as simple as a fall should define somebody forever, but for the rest of his life, Mephibosheth's feet will be crushed and will be mangled and he will be crippled for the rest of his life. He will bear in him the scars of what happened to him and to his family. He will never be able to forget that day because wherever he goes... His scars go with him. His scars take every step he takes. They step right in front of him. He can't take a step without a scar already being there ahead of him. I don't know what dropped you. It didn't kill the kid, but it did kill his confidence. 
I don't know who dropped you. I don't know who let you down. I don't know who hurt you. I don't know who lied about you. I don't know. I don't know at what moment that everything seemed like it was going right, but there was one moment that everything turned around. I don't know what it was that before you saw yourself as royalty, you saw yourself as a person of purpose, you saw yourself as a person of potential, and now all you see are your scars and your pain and your trouble and how they hurt you and how they let you down. I find a lot of times the people that let us down it's not that they did it intentionally it's that they fell it's one thing to fall it's another thing to fall when you're carrying somebody else and as a as a husband and a father and a boss and a pastor and as all these things I realize there are a lot of things that I'm carrying and there are a lot of people and the truth is just because I'm strong enough to carry doesn't mean I'm so strong that sometimes I don't fall but when I fall stuff falls with me and some of you some of you it it, it wasn't that they meant to throw you down it's just that they stumbled and when they stumbled so did you their stumble created a, a break in your life. And, and oftentimes what happens is that that crushing and that brokenness, it inflicts a wound in us that brings insecurity. It kills our confidence. And the thing that happens when our confidence is killed, I want to take you through a quick progression in Mephibosheth's life. And the first part I want to call creating crutches. When, when, when your confidence has been killed, I don't know how I'm going to do this with a handheld mic, but I'm going to do this. We might just do one crutch. Tiny Tim. I, this is what I found. When, when you are, when you're crippled, when something in your life, when, you're, when your confidence has been crippled, when your self-esteem has been crippled, when your faith has been crippled and your hope and your expectations of good things that God has for you have been crippled, the tendency is for us to compensate for the broken thing and we do that by creating crutches in our lives. Crutches are meant to bear the weight that the broken thing can no longer carry. And so we create crutches and I find so many people that 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 as I walk through life that have created crutches now crutches are are helpful instruments for healing but if you don't grow beyond the crutch if healing never happens the crutch just becomes a part of your persona and who you are and I know people who got hurt decades ago but they still got a crutch I know people who it's been 30 years but they still walk with a crutch we got all kind of crutches. You know, when I grew up in school, I never broke a bone. I've never broken a bone. I've, 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 I've been in the hospital for different things, but never had a broken bone. And I, I still, to this day, I kind of regret it because used to be like, and he had the crutch come in, you know, broken leg or whatever, come in and he had the cast and he had the crutches and all the girls thought it was cool. you sign my cast. I'm like, like, I don't have a cast for you to sign. Like, I want it. Like, and then somebody would have crutches. And you know, everybody would get their crutches in school. And then you'd be like, you know, we would be playing with their crutches. Could crushes. I, I found out crutches can actually make you cool. Your crutch can actually make people like you. Because sometimes the crutch of insecurity is people pleasing. Because I'm so insecure that I can't handle. It's not that I just want to be liked. Insecure people don't. Everybody likes to be liked. But insecure people need to be liked. 
I can't not be liked. And so in order to be liked, I'll tell you what you want to hear. In order to be liked, I'll, I'll, like, I'll sing a song. I'll dance a dance. I'll be, what do you want? You want the funny guy? I'll tell you a joke. I'll be whatever I need to be. I will morph. I'll change. I'll change like a chameleon room by room and context by context. I'll do whatever I need to do for you to like me because I'm insecure. I found that our crutches sometimes can get us promoted. Because sometimes our crutch is people-pleasing. Sometimes our crutch is producing. So we're a workaholic. And we say we do it for them. Oh, I do it for them. I do it for my wife. I do it for my kids. But your kids are saying, Daddy, I would rather have you home than... The truth is, I don't do it for them. The truth is, I'm convinced that if I have a, big, a better title, a bigger house, a big, bigger bank account, then maybe, then maybe you won't see the thing in me that's broken. And see, I'm important. And see, I'm a big deal. And I found that sometimes our, 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 our crutch can be, can be projecting. You know those people always telling you about all, like, all their wins and all they've ever done. They're always putting out an image. I found that sometimes our crutch can be promiscuity because we're so convinced that nobody would want us with our brokenness and with our crippledness and with the things in our lives that are broken that, that we'll give ourselves to anyone that, can, that would take us because we don't think anybody would really want us. All kind of crutches. They can make you popular. They make you well-received, but they don't make you healed. And if you're not careful, you'll create a crutch because of the weakness of an insecurity. You'll create a crutch to compensate for the thing that you don't feel like you're good enough. You don't think all all of a sudden you're enough. And so you start to compensate. And maybe you're a workaholic or maybe you're the funny guy or maybe you're passive aggressive or maybe you're promiscuous or whatever it is. And we all deal when we're dealing with issues by different names. But the truth is we all create crutches when we're dealing with insecurity. And so we don't know literally what Mephibosheth and how Mephibosheth dealt with his physical difficulty. We don't know what his literal crutch was, but we do know that he spent much of his life in hiding. And and so David is asking the question, did anybody make it? They said, yeah, Mephibosheth, there's one one kid. In fact, uh, Ziba doesn't even call his name. I find it very interesting that Ziba can recall more quickly the boy's shame than he can the boy's name. I can't remember his name, but I do remember his feet are jacked up. You ever notice we can do that? I can't remember, I can't remember her name, but I do know she's been married three times. I can't remember his name, but I do know he's the guy. He got busted for... Like we real quick can tell you what somebody did and what happened to them. And so he says, yeah, 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 there is one, but you don't want him. He's messed up. David said, where's he at? I love the fact that when God, when even though God knew about my shame, he knew about my brokenness, he saw my struggle and everybody else said, you don't want him. God said, where? The very thing that might keep somebody else away, bring the Bible says he is near to the broken. Where, where, where is he? And Ziba said he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. So it's King David, the Bible says, sent and brought him from Lodabar. Uh, we start creating crutches. This part of Mephibosheth's journey, I want to call leaving Lodabar. He's in a place called Lodabar. It's a compound Hebrew word. Uh, I know many of you are Hebrew scholars, but for those of you who are not, Lodabar is a Hebrew. In fact, let me give you a quick Hebrew lesson. Uh, just say this with me. Lo means no. See, you are scholars. You are geniuses. You learn Hebrew so fast. 
Lo means no, Dabar means word, is what it literally means. It can mean no pasture or nothing or desolation, but literally, Lodabar means no word. There is a danger in living your life in a place where there is no revelation. There's a danger in living your life disconnected from the word of God, because where there is no revelation, there will be rumination. Rumination... Rumination is what uh, psychologists call the tendency of ours to replay and repeat negative experiences in our minds. It comes from, it comes from, uh, actually from the anatomy of animals like a cow. A cow, I don't know if you know it, but a cow has multiple stomachs. These stomachs are called rumen. Uh, they will, a cow will chew on grass and swallow it, and then it'll, later on, it'll spit it back up and chew on it a little bit more, and it'll swallow it again. It's called chewing the cub, the cud, or ruminating. And so it'll swallow it into the rumen, and it'll vomit it back up, and it'll chew on it some more, and it'll swallow it again, and it can take days for a cow to finally fully swallow and digest the thing. Some of you are still, you are still chewing on a thing that happened a year ago. You should have already... But if you don't have any revelation, if you don't have a fresh word, you will have this rumination. You'll replay it over and over. What they said and what they did and how they did you and how it hurt. And you'll just replay it over. Some of you can remember every moment of the darkest day of your life, but you don't have the word of God in your heart. And when you live in Lodabar, all you know is what happened. You replay it and you're defined by the pain and so he's hiding in a place called no word. But all of a sudden in a place called no word, he gets a word that the king is calling for him. And now he has, he has a challenge. He has a crisis of faith because all he has known since he was five years old, Makir is the man who kept him from dying. Makir opened his home to this boy when he was crippled and he was no longer a prince. He had nothing. Makir was the man who kept him from dying. But the man who kept him from dying in one season is keeping him from growing in this season. And sometimes the person who kept you from dying in the last season can keep you from growing in this season and there comes a time when God begins to call you and he begins to call you into his presence and in order to go to the palace you have to leave Lodabar I'm sure he didn't want to leave Makir after all that he had done for him after all the goodness this man had shown him we got we got history we've got you've been good to me you've been like when I didn't have anything you opened your doors to me I can never forget it I'm sure he would have loved for Makir listen the king has called me and invited me to come to his table and come into his presence. Why don't you come with me? Makir's like, man, I got this is all I've ever known. This is my place. This is my inheritance. This is where my family is. And at some point, Mephibosheth has to get to the place where in order to go there, he has to leave here. At some point, he's got to get to the place. As good as you have been for me, as much as you have blessed me, God is calling me on. And if you can't come with me, I love you, but I will leave you. I love you, but I will, I'll write to you. I'll call. I'll shoot you out. It's calling me. I appreciate you, but but I got to go because God is calling me. And the hardest thing is leaving. If I could just go from here to there in one bound, it would be easy, but I got to leave here before I get there. You ever notice that? I have to leave Mr. Wrong. I don't, I don't break up with Mr. Wrong the next day. Mr. Right calls me. I, 
I finally have faith to believe this is not God's will for my life. This is not healthy and holy. I leave this and sometimes I'm trekking for years all crippled. I'm, I'm, I'm crutching my way up mountains and down valleys trying to get, I got a left load of bar, but what happened? What happens next? He leaves. We don't know how long the journey took, but Mephibosheth left the place where he had been living his whole life, a place with no revelation, but he gets the revelation that God is calling him to a new place. And finally, he comes. He comes to the, to the presence of the king. He comes to the throne room of David. And the Bible says in verses 6 and 8, Mephibosheth came to David And he said this, he says something so interesting. He says, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth is gripped with insecurity. He is absolutely convinced that he does not belong here. He's absolutely convinced that he has no right to be even in the same room as the king. See, in the ancient world, to have the kind of physical uh, handicap that Mephibosheth had, you were not even allowed in the presence to come into the throne room and present yourself to the king. The king's eyes could not look upon someone who, whose body was, was, was so handicapped as Mephibosheth. And so he knows, I'm, like, I'm not just a dog, like, I'm roadkill. I'm dead dog. Who, who am I that you would, that you would look at me? Uh, the language of the dead dog, the language of the dog is, is not just a way to show, to feign humility. It's not just a way Jesus, in fact, referred to the Syrophoenician woman. He said, it is not right for us to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs, not to denigrate her. But the language of dogs is the language of covenant. What Jesus was saying to the woman was that you have no covenant. Healing is the bread of the children. The, the healing is the covenant bread. It is, it is the, the right of the children to sit at the table and to eat the bread of healing. And you're not a covenant person. It's not right for me to give the, 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 the children's bread to somebody who's not in the covenant. That's the language. Mephibosheth comes to David and says, I'm a dog. Which means I don't have, I've got literally no leg to stand on. I don't have any covenant. I have no right. I have no, I have no claim. I have nothing. The thing was, this is the problem with living in Lodabar, is that you have a covenant, but you don't know it. Because before Mephibosheth had ever been born, there was a covenant. He wasn't there for it. He wasn't old enough to ever hear his daddy tell him that, hey, me and this man David, we made an agreement. But see, there was a word, there was a covenant, there was an agreement that he actually had access to the king's house. David had promised Jonathan. They, 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 had, they had made this blood covenant. You're, uh, I'm going to watch for you and you watch me and, and I'll protect you and you'll protect me and blood in and blood out and you're my boy and I got you. But not not only will I protect you, but I got your family and your children and your children's children and your family will be like my family and my family will be like your family. And they, and they sealed the deal and it's been years now. And all of a sudden Mephibosheth comes and says, I don't have, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm just, I'm, I'm the son of a dead man. I'm the grandson of a dead man. In fact, I'm the grandson of your enemy, Saul. I don't have any claim. And David says, what you didn't know was that there was a covenant before you were born. There was a 
covenant over your life. There was a promise over your life. There was provision over your life. Your father made a way for you before you even fell. He made a way for you to be restored before you ever tripped. He made a way for you to get up. I came to tell somebody that before you were ever born, the father made a way for you to be restored. Before your failure, there was already a way back. Before your fall, there was already a plan of redemption for your life. I don't know when it happened. I don't know when it happened, but at some point, David, David goes on to say, he said, here's what's going to happen. He said, I'm going to restore every, I wish I had time. He said, I'm, I'm going to restore all. This is the part I want to call shattering shame. It's the final part of the story. In fact, Mephibosheth's name, you know what Mephibosheth's name means? It's a funny name. His name means the one who shatters shame. Spent his whole life living on a crutch, trying to cope with shame. We all have coping mechanisms. But if you're not careful, you'll cope and never be healed. If you're not careful, you'll learn to cope and you'll be, and I can, man, I'm pretty good with this. I can move pretty good with this crutch. I've gotten really good with dealing with this thing that's in my life that never gets healed. And I just kind of, but I can, I can function. I mean, I'm a functional alcoholic. Yeah, I drink every day, but I can, like I can function. I mean, yeah, I'm an addict. Yeah, I'm angry. Yeah, I'm bitter. Yeah, I'm insecure, but I can, you know, I got just, I got it under control. And you spend your whole life coping and you never get healed. But his name, his name, his name, almost as if his father knew that he was going to have to deal with shame before the shame ever came. He said, you're going to break the shame. You know how you shatter shame? One day, I don't know when it happened. David goes on to say, I'm going to restore everything. and Everything meant everything. I mean, it meant all the land, all the money. And Saul was the king. He had a lot of land and a lot of money. He said, David said, but what, what really matters is not that I'm giving you back your family's wealth. I'm giving you your place back. And you're going to eat at my table by my side as long as you live. For a, for a man who was born into royalty only to have it ripped away to live his life with barely the memory of what it was like to be seated among royalty, to have the confidence that your father was royalty, to eat like a king, to live like a king, and then to spend his whole life living like a beggar, living as a crippled man who was at the mercy of Makir. I don't know when he did, but at some point, Mephibosheth takes David up on his offer and he comes, he comes to the palace. He comes at dinner time. He comes to the table. All of David's children would have been there and if you read about David's children, they were impressive. They were all fine. David was fine. His wives were pretty much all fine. So all his children were fine. <laughs> And they were, many of them were accomplished and wise and wealthy and shrewd. And here comes Mephibosheth. You ever feel like you don't belong? 
So you ever, you ever gone to one of those churches where they all acted like they belong, but they looked at the people who came in crippled like you don't, but what are you doing here? That's when you got to understand that you got here the same way they did. The king invited me. See, I don't have to, I, I don't ask people for permission who weren't the ones who extended the invitation. If you don't like it, you can take it up with him. Because from what I know, the only way to get into the kingdom is if the king lets you in. And I'll show you my invitation. He said, whosoever will, let them come. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse, excuse me, oh, excuse me, sorry about that, excuse me, excuse me, Solomon, excuse me, Adonijah, excuse me, Absalom, I'm sorry, I know you're fine, I know you got it all together, I know I'm crippled, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And now, listen to me, this is, this is the decision every one of us has, has to make in this moment, because when God calls you into his presence, when God calls you to sit at his table you have a choice I can't I can't I can't carry my crutch see can I build a crutch to sustain my weight but the purpose of the chair is to sustain my weight and either I will I will either lean on my own understanding on my own strength on what I've crafted or else I will get rid of the crutch and I will sit in the grace of God oh that some of you would get rid of the crutch today got negative four minutes and 26 seconds so don't don't try to take my time (laughs) when you've been carrying your own weight when you've been coping your whole life and all of a sudden you sit down in great you know how you shatter shame is you stop trying to prove it to people that you're all right. Try to stop trying to cope your way through life and you sit in the grace of God that says you are welcome at his table, that you have a you are a son, you are of God, that you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. You are a son, you are a daughter, you belong here. This he took his seat. And when he pulls up all of a sudden the shame that he could not not see the shame that was always in front of him all I see is grace I came to tell somebody it's time for you to take your place some of you it's time for listen it's time for you to get in DNA it's time for you to go to brave life it's time for you to get on the team it's time for you to lead in God's house this is your house you belong here stop making excuses stop crutching your way around well I'm not any good to anybody well they don't really want me anyway this is your house this is your table you belong here sit down and eat like a king listen though Listen though, it doesn't say he ate with the king. It doesn't say he ate with the king's sons. It says he ate 
like a king's son. You know how a king's son eats? He doesn't ask anybody for permission. Those rolls look good. Pass them over here. I belong here. God says I'm enough. God says I'm loved. God says I'm accepted. God says I'm a... got to get out of here. Give me one more second. Listen to me. He sat down, but you can't live your whole life eating at the table. At some point, you got to get up. But when you realize, when you realize you spent your life with a crutch that you don't need anymore, I can go back to trusting in me or I can live my life trusting in him. And I'm not saying I got it all together. And I'm not saying that I won't stumble. And I'm not saying that I won't limp. I mean, it may not look pretty, and it may be, but I'm getting my confidence back. I'm, I'm getting my... You call it a limp, but I call it swag. You call it a limp, this is my testimony. This is why. Let me tell you where I've been. I was in hell, but he raised me up. I couldn't walk, but he brought me out. I'm telling you today, God has a place for you. So here's we finish tonight. Here's what we're going to do. I don't know who I came for tonight. I don't know who has been coping their way, crutching their way. You've been eating crumbs from the table instead of eating like a king. I came to tell you, you may be young. You may be old. You may be, you may be broken. You may be broke. You may have it. You may not. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. If God is calling you into his presence, calling you into his grace, calling you into the ministry, calling you into this church, calling you to the next season, calling you to step away from the things that have kept you down and step into his purpose for your life. I wouldn't let anything keep me in Lodabar when God had called me to his table. And so I'm going to count to three and we're going to open these altars. Our prayer team is coming. If God is calling you to more, I want you to step out. If you got to stumble, if you got to crawl if you got to fall your way here one two three right now if you need more if you right now let's go if you need healing if you need restoration right now come on right now let's go come on we're coming lord we're coming it may take us a minute but we're coming we're bringing our crutches with us, but we won't take them when we leave. I've trusted my own strength to hold me up for too long. It's exhausting to have to hold yourself up. It's exhausting to have to try to cope with the pain of your scars. I don't know what hurt you. I don't know who let you down. I don't know who disappointed you. I don't know who lied about you. I don't know who left you. It doesn't matter who left. 
who's left is all that matters and you have somebody in your corner there is a promise over your life there is a covenant that is yours if all you do is step into it and sit down in your place and eat like a king eat like a son receive what the father has already prepared for you raise your hands up like you're hungry raise your hands up like you're ready to eat raise your hand we're not we're not groveling at the table we're reaching up and receiving what Jesus paid his life for right now in the name of Jesus every person who needs salvation we reach up and we receive it in Jesus name every person who needs emotional healing there are people in this place who've been carrying emotion you are healed for two decades and God says tonight it's over tonight you are healed tonight you walk out you crutched in you walk out tonight right now reach up and receive it in Jesus name there's some of you right now you don't think you're enough God has called you to more he's called you to lead you don't think you're enough in Jesus name in Jesus name take your place son take your place daughter I'm everything he says I am I have a covenant I'm not a dog I'm a son I'm not a dog I'm a daughter I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me and gave himself for me receive right now in Jesus name healing in Jesus name freedom in Jesus name courage in Jesus name boldness in Jesus name bravery in Jesus name insecurity is broken I'm not gonna hide my past anymore it's my testimony I'm not gonna hide my issues anymore this is my story and God is using it to redeem me and help others God's gonna use what I've been through to bless somebody else I'm not hiding it anymore I'm not hiding in the corner anymore I'm taking my place I'm taking my seat I'm pulling up my chair I'm gonna eat like a king thanks for joining us for today's message from brave church for more information or to get in touch with us visit us at bravemiami.com